Welcome to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. Join us in person for worship each Sunday at 9.30 a.m. For more information about Covenant, including discipleship and mission opportunities, visit us at www.covenantpresjackson.org. Jesus was in a boat traveling west. Jesus was in a boat with his disciples, his followers on the Sea of Galilee. They, they had just been in the country of the Gerasenes, which was a Gentile land outside of Israel, away from God's people. And as soon as he landed there, Jesus was rushed upon by a howling, bloodied, straight out of a nightmare, wild animal of a man who lived among the tombs. This man was captive by a host of unclean spirits. He was possessed by an army of demons. And Jesus healed him, overpowered the legion, cast them out. Now, when the people of the region saw what Jesus had done, saw the demon-possessed man now healed and in his right mind, they were afraid. And they begged him to leave. They, They wanted Jesus to get back into the boat and sail away. And he does. But first, Jesus sends the restored man as his first missionary, a Gentile missionary to Gentiles, telling the good news of what the Lord had done for him. Now, when Jesus and his disciples arrived on the other side, a great crowd gathered around him. And out of that crowd, one man had been seeking Jesus, waiting for Jesus, his name was Jairus. Jairus was a well-off, highly respected member of the community. He was a ruler of the synagogue. Now, the synagogue was and is the Jewish place of worship, the place where God's people gather for prayer, for the reading of scripture, and preaching. Synagogues developed during the Babylonian exile in the 6th century BC after the temple was destroyed. Now, a ruler of the synagogue wasn't a rabbi, wasn't a trained teacher. The ruler of the synagogue was not a worship leader. He was simply a member of the congregation that the elders of the community appointed to oversee the synagogue. His duties included maintaining the building, caring for the scrolls that the scripture was written upon, and organizing worship services. Well, finding Jesus in the midst of the crowd, this respected leader of the community, this ruler of the synagogue, falls at his feet. Jairus is in desperate need. He's in dire need. His 12-year-old daughter is about to die. She's very near the end. Well, bowing down before him, Jairus pleads with Jesus, begs Jesus to come to lay hands on his daughter. To heal her. Now, some of you know exactly what Jairus feels. You have experienced, you have felt this desperation, this need, this extreme helplessness. But there's nothing that you can do. There's nothing that anyone can do. Maybe you're there now. Seek Jesus. Seek the Son of God. Fall before him, plead, 
pray. Listen, listen again to verse 24 at how Jesus answers Jairus. Jairus pleads, Jairus begs, and Jesus answers not, not with words. Jesus answers with action. And he went with him. Jesus hears the plea of Jairus. He has compassion on him. Jesus goes. He, he, he doesn't say, hey, can't you see this crowd? I'm too busy. Check back tomorrow. But immediately he enters this desperate situation and he will go with you. He will enter with you. Even through the valley of the shadow of death. As they go, the crowd follows. The crowd presses against him. They, they want to know what's going to happen. They want to see what Jesus is going to do. And out of this crowd, one woman had been seeking Jesus, waiting for Jesus. Unlike Jairus, we're not told her name. And in fact, she's very unlike Jairus. She's poor. She has nothing. And she's an outcast. She's not welcome in the community. She really shouldn't be there. She shouldn't be present. She shouldn't be among the crowd. But like Jairus, she is in desperate need. Dire need. For 12 years, she has suffered from a discharge of blood, most likely a menstrual hemorrhage. For 12 years, she's tried to get well, going to many doctors, suffering under many doctors, spending all her money on treatment, yet... We're told she had nothing to show for it. She was no better. In fact, she was worse. And on top of her suffering, according to God's law, she was unclean. She was impure in the sight of God. And that law is found in our Old Testament reading from the book of Leviticus, which says if a, if a woman had extended menstrual bleeding, some sort of prolonged gynecological issue, she was ceremonially unclean. She was ritually impure, which meant she couldn't worship. She couldn't enter the temple. She couldn't be part of the worshiping community. She couldn't enter God's presence until it stopped, until she was healed, until, until she was cleansed. And according to the law, anyone she touched became contaminated. Anyone who brushed against her clothes became unclean, impure, unable to worship, separated from community until they too were cleansed, ritually washed. So in effect, this woman was like a leper, not only physically suffering, but also an outcast. So in her dire need, in desperation, she comes to Jesus. Breaking the law, she shouldn't be around people. She comes to Jesus. Risking rejection and scorn and abuse, she comes to Jesus. She'd heard about him, heard people talking about him, talking about his teaching, talking about his healing. So she goes to him. But she doesn't approach him from the front like Jairus did. She comes in behind. She doesn't want to be noticed. She doesn't want to draw attention. She only wants to touch his garment. She only wants to touch his clothing. If only she could do that, she thought. She would be made well. Listen again to verse 29. And immediately the flow of blood dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. With one touch, 
she was healed. With one touch, she was cleansed. With one touch, 12 years of suffering, 12 years of frustration, 12 years of shame, gone. With one touch, she was restored. And Jesus knew. He knew something had happened. He felt power go out of him. So he stopped. So he stopped. And he turns around and he asks the crowd, who touched me? Who touched my garments? And the disciples were clearly frustrated. Jesus, you see all these people? You see all these people around you pressing against you? And you're asking, who touched my garments? Now, if the disciples are frustrated, imagine what Jairus was thinking. Every moment that passed, every second of delay meant his daughter was that closer to death. And as Jesus, as his gaze pierced the crowd, the woman came forward. She came in fear and trembling, fear at what just happened. She just experienced physical healing through the power of God, fear at what Jesus might say, fear of what the crowd might think. And falling before him, she told him the truth, the whole truth, her disease, her suffering, her shame, her desire to touch him. But Jesus doesn't reproach her. He doesn't scold her. Rather, in compassion, Jesus speaks these words. Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now, the Greek word translated make you well or heal can also mean save. Daughter, your faith has saved you. Now, it wasn't the touch, it, did, it wasn't the garment, it was faith. Her faith, it wasn't the touch that saved her, it wasn't the garment that saved her, it was faith, Jesus says. Her faith, and not, not faith that she could be healed, as in she believed she could be healed, but faith in Jesus, believing that he could heal, he could restore, he could cleanse, he could save. The same is true for you. It's faith that saves you. It's your faith that saves you. Like the woman in our passage, you're unclean. You are impure, contaminated by sin. And you've broken God's law. You've failed to love. You've failed to love God. You've failed to love your neighbor. And all it takes is one thought, one angry thought. All it takes is one word, one dismissive word, and you've sinned. You're unclean. And the truth is, it's, it's been your whole life. And perhaps you have sought healing. Perhaps you've sought cleansing outside of God. And this world offers many physicians pleasure, social standing, worldly goods. And many of the physicians of this world will simply cause you to suffer more. Rather than make you well, you'll come out worse. There's only one physician who can heal. There's only one physician who can cure you. Only one physician who can cleanse you and save you. Jesus Christ. 
the Son of God died, was crucified. He took your sin, your uncleanness, your impurity. He takes it off you like a dirty shirt, and he wears it himself. He owns it. He makes it his own. And he takes the punishment that you deserve. Death. And in turn, he gives you his righteousness. He gives you his purity. He gives you his proper standing before God. He saves you, heals you, cleanses you. Do you believe? Do you have faith? Faith in him, in the eternal son who died for you. The faith, faith is an instrument. Faith is how you take hold of Jesus, how you receive Jesus, the one who can save. Seek him out. Fall before him. Tell him the truth, the whole truth. Your faith has saved you. Now, while Jesus was still speaking with her, Jairus receives a message from his home, a message no parent ever wishes to receive. His daughter has died. Now, the, the, the delay that healed the woman was costly. It cost the life of this young girl. So the messenger asked, why trouble the teacher any further? Leave Jesus alone. Your daughter is beyond hope. Your daughter is beyond healing. Your daughter is beyond saving. But is she? Jesus overheard the messengers. Actually, the, the, the Greek word for overheard can be translated ignore. Both are true. Jesus overheard, Jesus ignored. And he speaks these words to Jairus at the end of verse 36. Do not fear, only believe. Do not fear, only believe. Jesus is saying, Jairus, I know what you heard. Jairus, I know you're crushed. I know you're overwhelmed with sorrow. I know your hope is gone. Don't be afraid. Believe. Have faith. Faith like the woman who was just healed. Faith in Jesus. After speaking these words, Jesus takes three of his disciples, three of his followers, Peter, James, and John. He doesn't take them all. And they accompany him to Jairus' home. When they arrive there, they are met by weeping and wailing, dirge and dance. Mourners had already gathered outside of his home. In the first century, in first century Jewish culture, when there was a death, the family hired mourners. These professional mourners even had an organized trade guild. Now, rabbis said that a family must hire at least two flute players and a woman to wail whenever a death occurred. And since Jairus was a synagogue ruler, there was probably a great crowd of mourners, musicians, women clapping and wailing in haunting tones. Well, Jesus interrupts it all. Jesus interrupts the mourning. He stops the crying and he asks them a question. Why are you making such a commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. It's sleeping. And they laugh at him, derided him. The mourners quickly turned into mockers. Of course she's dead. They saw her. She's not breathing. Besides, if she weren't dead, if she were only sleeping, they wouldn't be there. 
Undeterred, Jesus enters the house, taking Jairus and his wife and Peter and James and John. He goes to the little girl and taking her by the hand, he speaks to her, little girl, arise. Two words in Aramaic, little girl, arise. And Jesus's word, the word that created all things in the beginning, penetrates sorrow. Jesus's word penetrates sorrow, penetrates tragedy, penetrates death. And immediately the little girl obeys Jesus' command. She rose up and began to walk. And just like that, at his word, tears of sorrow, tears of pain, tears of loss turn into tears of joy. Don't be afraid. Believe. Because the one who saves you, the one who cleanses you from your sin, has power over death authority over death, your death. He makes the impossible possible. In him, death is temporary. In him, death is ephemeral. Let that fill you. Let that good news fill you with hope and fill you with joy in whatever circumstance you find yourself in, whatever situation you're in, whether you're worried, whether you're troubled, whether you're overwhelmed, whether you're full of pain, whether you are full of sorrow. Don't be afraid. Believe. Look to Jesus. Take take your focus off of what is around you, your circumstance, your situation, your pain, and place it on the one who saved you. Place it on the one who has power over death. Have faith like the woman. Now, that doesn't mean your circumstance is going to change. That doesn't mean that the sorrow and the pain and the loss and the trouble is going to go away. There's no promise. There's no guarantee of that. But he is with you. He does go with you. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. So do not fear. At his word, death is overcome. And one day when he returns, one day when he comes back to make all wrongs right, he will stop the mourning. He will stop the crying. Tears of sorrow will become tears of joy. Eternal tears of joy. Don't be afraid. Believe. Just like the woman just like Jairus. Thank you for tuning in to Witness, a ministry of Covenant Presbyterian Church in Jackson, Mississippi. 